I am swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's astounding the lengths I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drown. Don't bother swimming out to save me. I will only drag you down. I'll try to use your body as a life raft. Cause if there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset. Sipping on savory water till my liver turns blue. Yes, everybody, it is me, Matt Wright. I am back with a brand new episode of The Writer's Block, a Muddied Waters Media production. Uh, I am wearing my brand new shirt that I made specifically for superfan Zara Anderegg that I will wear now everywhere because uh, it is my favorite shirt in the entire world. Um, this is not actually available in the store yet, so you get to take a look at it, decide if you like it uh, beforehand. Um, so I hope everybody enjoys it. Um, first and foremost, allow me to thank the wonderful and fine people at Siesta Cava. I should probably put up their overlay because, you know, they're paying for that. For SiestaCava.com. If you want to try the Libertarian Kool-Aid, the fun, gritty, muddy Libertarian Kool-Aid known as Cava, visit SiestaCava.com to all of you wonderful people for showing up and watching me week after week after week. And to Siesta Cava, I say, Bula Banaka. This episode is brought to you by the wonderful people. Well, by the wonderful man. Uh, the wonderful man known as Chris Reynolds, personal injury attorney. Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. And while we do not have the anchor call-in moment on this episode... We do have it on Tuesdays, but this man uh, deserves all of the credit because he is one of the major reasons this show is still on the air. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing waffle related caucus in the known multiverse. Uh, if you want to become a member of the Waffle House Caucus, all you have to do is visit muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store and buy yourself a Waffle House button. Uh, if you want to become a voting member, pick up a t-shirt. This episode is also brought to you by the most aptly named company to ever exist for this show, Mudwater. 
If you are tired of the coffee jitters, switch over to Mud Water. It is a coffee alternative that contains masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, uh, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. If you are ready to make the switch today, visit muddiedwatersmedia.com slash mud. This episode is also brought to you by the Gravy King. This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor, Jonathan Reels, and it looks like Matt Hicks could have drawn this. Um, back in the 1996 presidential election, Jonathan asked his granny who she was going to vote for, the Republican or the Democrat. She looked him dead in the face and said, you won't catch me voting for either of those shit asses. And that was very confusing for an eight-year-old named Jonathan Reels. Um, and Jonathan Reels has to say to you, be like his granny, vote for Jonathan Reels for U.S. Congress. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by The Royal Green. Uh, it is a book. It's written by a libertarian. His name's Jack Casey. He's got a great head of hair. I mean, at least in his pictures. It could be photoshopped. I don't know. Um, but he uh, he wrote some books, and they're about things. I don't know. I haven't read them. People sit telling me they're good. I don't know. It's not like just looking at the covers. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, like I'd, I bet I have some friends that would like that. Um, but if you want to support a libertarian and you're into fantasy and, uh, butterflies and knives and rings that do things, um, and you're into descriptions, like it's like Game of Thrones, Dune, Ender's Game, Final Fantasy, Hamlet, V for Vendetta, Phantom of the Opera, and a bunch of other stories came together and had a few strange, but beautiful rectangular shaped babies. Visit theroyalgreen.com today. This episode is also brought to you by Cumberland Cannabis Co., a brand new cannabis co. for you from us. Uh, visit cumberlandcannabisco.com to try out the blue raspberry gummies because I just was looking at those and those sound delicious. And that's also the flavor vape that I have right now. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Joe Soloski. He is the key to Pennsylvania's success. If you are in the Pennsylvania region of these United States, you should vote for Joe Soloski for governor in next year. Um, speaking of Pennsylvania, on my show today, I have a very wonderful guest. She is the newly elected chair of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Please welcome with me, everybody, the fantastic, the wonderful Ms. Jennifer Moore. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, I am so glad that uh, I am so glad that you uh, had the time to take today to talk to me. I, I'm very excited to have you on. You know, I keep seeing all the Waffle House stuff. You know, I've never eaten at a Waffle House. I feel so left out. Well, so it before the show started, we talked a little bit, and you uh, said that you were in Michigan and Pennsylvania. So you never having experienced Waffle House makes a lot of sense. We have them in Pennsylvania. Do you? Um, not near me. I think there's one about 45 minutes away. I'm just going to have to find some Waffle House libertarians to go with. Yeah, because um, I grew up in northern Virginia, and where I was, the closest one was like 40 minutes away. So I wasn't like a Waffle House kid. It wasn't until I moved to Tennessee, where they're everywhere, that I started going to Waffle House a lot more regularly. And then I came down to Florida, and, like, you can find one every other block. It's like the Spike Cohen dream, um, where he's just like, yes, yeah, a Waffle House on every corner. Um, 
So it's a it's it's a fantastic cheap breakfast that is or lunch or dinner. And it really it doesn't matter whenever you want to eat eggs. It's great. Um uh but so you congratulations by the way you just recently when was that last weekend or the weekend before it was last weekend last weekend you won the chair of the libertarian party of pennsylvania that that is amazing news that is great uh great news actually um do you want to talk talk about what what the process was like getting elected as the chair or do you just want to bask Um, do you want to bask in the wind for a while um well, it was probably the most difficult day I've ever had as an activist. We um we have a 180-day rule for um, voting members, which is usually waived, and the delegation chose not to waive it this time. Um, so we spent most of the day arguing about that. We did get to officer elections, which seemed like that might not even happen, but we didn't get to bylaws. Um, we didn't get to um, platform or anything like that. We just had our officer election. So, you know, I feel we have a really good team. Um, I've done a lot of outreach this past week to, um, you know, the opponent's side, hoping that we can find projects to work together on. Um, you know, from here, we're heading right into ballot access season. Right. So, um, you know, the main thing is we need to make sure this part is successful. Right, and ballot access is a big thing for libertarians, especially in today's political climate, no matter which state you're in. Um, and I want to get into that with you, but first, I'd like to find out exactly how my guests that come on the writer's block, how it is that they became libertarian in the first place. Did you like? Were you always a libertarian? Did you kind of grow into it? Were you a Democrat or a Republican who was like, when they, like I don't like the overreach that the state is doing, and then you found the libertarian? Like... How is it that you became a member of this party? Well, I was a Republican in the mid-aughts, and I kind of walked away from the party because I felt they weren't small government. And I knew at that point that I was a libertarian, but it wasn't until 2014 when I took a break from my career. I had my second child and was just working part-time, and I started spending a lot more time online um, and reading up on it and getting involved in libertarian forums. And the, in 2017, um, in conjunction with our convention, we had the Mid-Atlantic Liberty Festival, which crashed and burned. Um, it never happened. Um, it was kind of resurrected from the ashes, and they had a very short event. But we went anyway. It was my birthday weekend. My husband said, you want to go to a political convention for your birthday weekend? I said, yeah, I really do. I went. I had a great time. I swore I would never run for public office. I would never run for leadership in the party. Within a year, I was elected as township auditor. I was the Eastern vice chair of the party. Now I'm the chair of the party. I ran for auditor general last year. It just kind of, you know, sucks you in and steals your soul. It's, yeah. When, um, when I first moved here, like I was a libertarian before I moved to Florida. Uh, and if anybody is wondering if I am just very nervous talking to Jen, to Jen Moore or if my AC is broken, it's the latter. My, I'm in Florida and my AC is broken. So if I seem shiny, uh, that is why. Um, and, you know, I'm also nervous talking to the chair of the Pennsylvania Libertarian yeah. Party. Um, but um, when I moved to Florida, I was a libertarian already, but I wasn't active in the party. I was, I believed what, I, I, I had a strong libertarian beliefs. Um, I just wasn't party member. Um, and when I moved here, I joined and everybody was like, oh, you're going to immediately start wanting to run for office and you're going to want to run for, um, you know, for, uh, 
positions within the party. And I thought, nah, that's not me. And uh, that was half true. I've never run for office. But uh, I ended up like in my first month, I was the secretary of the Libertarian Party of Pinellas County. And then I worked my way up to vice chair. And people asked me to run for chair of the state party. But I was already on my way out at that time. Um, and then I ended up joining again uh, after I liked leadership again. But um, <laughs> somebody said Florida was only invented to sell air conditioners. Also, Joel Getz says you owe him money. Yes, I do owe Joel <laughs> money for his campaign. <laughs> he also said that he you, never lets me forget. Yeah, he also said you could beat Joe Soloski. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> Which, no, thank you. Which is amazing. Running for go I'm a much better administrator. <laughs> Governor is not my thing. <laughs> I was going to say, that's amazing because Joe Soloski, from what I can understand, can dribble a bowling ball. Um, and if you can defeat this man, good on you. Like, I support you 100%. Um, <laughs> I you know, some of the petitioners that I've contracted with have texted me to that effect. You should run for governor, John. And I'm like, no, I'm never running for governor. That's insanity. But you know what? My niche might be administration. Joe's is candidate. That's right. what he does best. He, I'm so glad that he's running for that nomination. No, absolutely. Joe, I, I love Joe. Uh, he came on the Muddy Waters of Freedom um, a couple of months ago now. And we actually have a intro a new intro video that he introduces us using like his Joe Soloski radio voice. And he's like, and now Matt Wright and Spike Cohen. And um, yeah, I'm super excited to be able to unveil that one whenever we get a chance to. But um, from what I understand, you were very instrumental in getting ballot access for the Jorgensen Cohen campaign in 2020. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and what other states could learn from what from your process? Well, the very first thing I want to tell everybody is don't wait till the last minute. Um, you know, we had um, COVID-19. We had lockdown orders. We went to the state and said, are we allowed to approach people with the six foot social distancing? Are we allowed to petition? And they didn't answer us. So we went to federal court and we sued them. And it was really, I was one of the key witnesses because the Democrats intervened and they told us that we should be mailing nomination papers out and having people sign them and send them back, which is funny because I had worked on a similar project before and it ended up costing us about $22 a signature to do it that way. Um, so I was a key witness saying that this method just doesn't work. The um, most famous part of that trial was when the Democrats council looked at me and told me that COVID-19 is only dangerous in my opinion. And I turned and looked at him and said, yes, in my opinion as a healthcare worker, <laughs> um, you know, with all the democratic narrative. Um, so we actually lost our case. We lost the appeal and they told us we had to collect 10,000 face-to-face signatures during a pandemic when there's no large gatherings, there's, um, nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to approach you within six feet. We needed wet ink face-to-face -face signatures. So we had three and a half weeks left. Um, I ran the paid drive. Normally, I would never take more than two or three paid petitioners. I probably interviewed 50 or 60 people, and I had 12. 
um, out in the field. So about a third of the drive was paid petitioners. And then the other two thirds was all volunteers. I mean, we had like over 200 individual petitioners who got signatures, which is amazing. I mean, most states can't pull that off. Our team just came together, but it was just daily reaching out to everybody. How many signatures do we have? Where's the count at? You know, do my paid petitioners have the papers they need? Where are they? Can we get down ballot on? Um, you know, it's just a lot of work. It's a what, heck of a no, lot of work to get that many work. signatures in a short time. So I want to make sure that I got this right. The government that shut down the state or the Commonwealth, you're a Commonwealth, that shut down the Commonwealth, said that COVID was only dangerous in your opinion? Right. Then why did they have the Commonwealth shut down? It was the Democrats <laughs> on top of it who said it. I mean, I, I, you can't make this stuff up. Right. You really I mean, can't that, make it up. Like, if I was sitting in in a in a trial in a in, in a lawsuit, um, I don't know the actual word for that. Um, but if I was sitting in court and somebody said that to me and said, "Then why are we shut down? Then why have you shut down businesses? Why can't we have gatherings where I could do this easier?" So ballot access is like my blitzerig button, right? And right. I'm not a person who gets the flame wars online. I ended up having a top badge for the Democrats. Because, like, every time they posted about COVID, the PA Democrats, I went after them. <laughs> and all of these threads would end up, they never deleted anything. They would end up being, like, 180 comments long. It was, like, people arguing with me that that didn't happen. <laughs> that, that is unbelievable. Like, they would have the gall to be that brazen to say, no, this is only dangerous in your mind. You should be able to do this. While, at the same time, fighting to make sure that... You don't have large gatherings, that schools are closed, that you can't uh, go to the DMV, that businesses are shut down unless they're, you know, the healthcare or uh, government. Um, well, it proves it was politically motivated. It you know? definitely proves it was politically motivated. Um, well, you know what else is interesting is this past um, election that we just had on Tuesday, our primary, Pennsylvania actually passed two constitutional amendments that limits the governor's power. Um, he's only allowed to declare an emergency for 21 days, and then it has to be renewed by the legislator, and he can't veto it. So this kind of restores that balance of power so we can't shut businesses down for a year at a time again. Well, I mean, that he shouldn't be allowed to shut them down for 21 days, personally. But, I mean, right. uh, at the you know, it's a step in the right direction. Um, but, yeah, like, I go to Pennsylvania – often, not as often as I used to when I lived in Virginia, but my sister lives in uh, Philadelphia. Um, and one of my sisters lives in Philadelphia. And a lot of the things that she was talking about that was going on in Philadelphia during while COVID was at the peak last summer, um, I could not believe that people were just accepting of it. As it, in being here in Florida, we did not really have the lockdown. I think ours was like three weeks or something. I don't know. And like my life literally didn't change. I still did everything I normally would do. I just wasn't allowed in places, but I didn't really go in places then because it's Florida. You just hang out outside. Right. Um, but the amount of overreach that the government in Pennsylvania took was absolutely outstanding to me. And then for them to you know, like we said, have the gall to say, no, it's only dangerous in your mind just to keep you off the ballot. So massive kudos to you for being able to reach the goals that you needed to reach 
and you know, not only that, but um, I was actually on the ballot as Auditor General, um, and you know, Joe Salaski was our Treasurer candidate. Dan Wasmer was running for Attorney General, and of course, we had Joe and Spike. Um, all of us hit the threshold for minor party status, which was the real goal nice. of um, this campaign. Um, I had the highest vote totals in the state, which was amazing because I didn't run a real campaign, um, but I got over 200,000 votes. But the thing that I have to say about it is through the Joe and Spike campaign, I organized 11 counties in my region, um, just excited volunteers who wanted to be a part of this movement, um, who just really you know, saw these campaigns and said, okay, now what's next? So, you know, now we have new affiliates all through the Northeast. In fact, um, of the 22 counties in Eastern Pennsylvania, there's only three left that need to be organized, which I'm going to leave to my, you know, successor, Adam Reinhart, um, now that I'm chair, but. So, um, outside of waiting until the last minute, which we're libertarians, like, <laughs> I hate to take the easy punch here, but. We're kind of famous for that. Um, outside of waiting till the last minute and like prepping these, your ballot access uh, way in advance. What else? What what other ways can you advise for people to get it uh, to to reach ballot access? Um, well, this year um, is our municipal election, okay. and I think that Pennsylvania will win a hundred to hundred and fifty elections um, in twenty. Um, 19, me, Wes Benedict, and Dr. Moulton worked on this project um, where we identified winnable seats. And we got 47 people elected that year. This year, we have so many more volunteers and we have more money to put towards it. We perfected our process. Um, I, I think that we're going to just elect a heck of a lot of people. But, you know, in answer to your question, that's a training ground for ballot access because most of these positions only need, you know, 10 to 50 signatures on like an even year where we have to have 10,000. Right. So, you know, if we can train people to get out there, get good signatures, because, you know, let's face it, they have to be registered voter in the, dist in the district. They can't use quotation marks. It has to be legible. I mean, there's just so many little ways to, you know, trip someone up. The papers look simple, but they're really not. Right. I mean, I faced a ballot challenge myself and ended up in court when I was elected um, just over absolutely silly errors, like the wrong year on a form. Um, so this year will kind of be that proving ground where we can train all these people in these small elections, get a bunch of people elected. So hopefully in 22, in Pennsylvania is unique that we're able to stack positions. So if we can recruit a lot of state reps, if we can recruit state Senate, U.S. Congress, all those people will stack towards that gubernatorial and that Senate. Um, so, you know, hopefully if we have enough people who are comfortable with the process, who understand what good papers look like, we'll be able to, you know, do it without paid petitioners this time around, which is, you know, always what we hope for. We always talk about it. It never quite works out that way. But, you know, we have great organizers and if we hit the ground running, um, there's no reason that we can't. Right. And I've been... I've been both a paid petitioner and a non-paid petitioner. Um, and honestly, when I was a non-paid petitioner, I did a much better job than when I was a paid petitioner um, because I was a paid petitioner for a different party. Um, but when I, when I was doing... That'll do it. Yeah. I was like, you're paying me. I'm out here. I'm just going to get the signatures and go. Uh, but when I was doing it for the Libertarian Party, when I first moved here, um, I was working on a... Uh, congressional campaign a federal congressional campaign and we were doing the door-to-door -to, -door 
talking to people and saying, but we need to get ballot access. Can you sign this? And then having to make sure that what they were signing was their name and that what they were filling out was what it said on their ID and like making sure that what they were doing was, would be acceptable. And they still threw out half of what we got. Yeah. Um, Joel Getz says that you are the only real libertarian. And then he immediately followed it up with just kidding. It's me, but still. That sounds like Joel. Like, I know that that's actually coming from Joel because I can hear him saying, <laughs> you know, when I, um, when the convention ended and I was done being Eastern vice chair, I handed him that pin and he has it somewhere. Oh, really? So I guess he's, even though Adam was elected, Joel's the, Joel's Jen Moore Eastern Vice Chair now. He's got my name tag. <laughs> so he, he took on the moniker of Jen Moore Eastern Vice Chair. He's not Eastern Vice right, Chair. He is right. Jen Moore Eastern Vice Chair. Correct. He, so technically, Jen Moore Eastern Vice Chair is running for mayor of East Stroudsburg. Is that how it goes, Joel? Is he still talking? <laughs> He says that it is his prized possession. Um, and that, and Bonnie says that he wore it the rest of the weekend. Um, so all of his campaign stuff needs to be, all of his campaign stuff needs to be switched over from Joel Getz for mayor to Jen Moore, Eastern vice chair. For you know, mayor. I actually looked in our database and we have um, seven Jennifer Moores who are registered libertarians in Pennsylvania. So there's six more of me out there. I'm sorry, guys. That's just, you know, but, <laughs> That's like the uh, the Josh fight that just happened in Oklahoma or wherever. <laughs> like, you have battled your way up, and now you are the Jen Moore that's the chair of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Uh, so you are the one true Jen Moore Libertarian, and if anybody else wants to take that from you, there has to be a battle. So my nine-year-old son, I was talking to him earlier this evening, and he Googled my name, and he's like, Mommy, you're the first result. He's like, you're wearing that blue dress, and, and it says Ballotpedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you Google Matt Wright, um, you, you used to, many years ago, get an emo singer from England. But now if you Google it, you still don't get me. You get uh, the Australian Outback Wrangler or something. It's not me, and I've never watched a show because that's my name. Um <laughs> And how dare he co-opt it? Um, okay, Nebraska, not Oklahoma. I apologize. So uh, speaking of Joel, you guys have a lot of fantastic candidates, just mm -hmm. truly wonderful candidates in um, Pennsylvania. Uh, outside of Joel, who is one of my favorite guests I've ever had on the show. Um, I can talk about that guy. I can talk about anything with that guy. And... Um, worry about what we said later. Um, but you have Joe Soloski running for governor. You've got Nicole Schultz running for um, lieutenant governor and Tim McMaster, who is running for state Senate, I believe. Yep. He, his election was actually just um, on Tuesday. Oh, so we had four special elections on Tuesday and you know what? Our candidates all did amazing. Um, all of them were running in brand new counties where we had brand new affiliates and those affiliates are light years ahead of the other ones that organized at the same stage because they had a candidate to, you know, kind of rally around. Um, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see. I mean, they were, we had two state Senate and two state house candidates. Um, and I believe that they got 
they pulled pretty good numbers, like, you know, two to three percent, um, which is really good for a libertarian. Right. But, you know, just seeing the organization rise up around them, they did their job and they did it well. Good. Good. Uh, how did how did Tim's uh, election end up? Like, I, I did not know that his election was on Tuesday. Uh, otherwise, we would have reported on it on our show. Um, but how did it go? I think that he got about three and a half percent. I mean, I'm sorry, Tim, if I'm wrong, Um, but, you know, it was a good showing, um, especially during the primary when the people who show up are very partisan. Um, You know, a lot of libertarians don't know that they can even vote. Um, This year, everybody could vote because of the referendums. And we sent out postcards and we blasted that all over social media. I did interviews with um, a couple of other organizations trying to let libertarians know you can go to the polls this year. But, um, you know, for him to pull that kind of um, those kind of numbers at a time when normally libertarians, independents, it's a primary, so we wouldn't even think to show up at the polls. I mean, he did an excellent job. And it's going to be easier for the ones that come after him because now he's normalized it in his community. All these people, there's people that he, I'm sure, motivated to run for township supervisor or constable or, you know, borough council that we haven't even met yet, but they're going to say, I saw Tim McMaster and I decided to run for office and they're going to win. And that is one of the things that um, I've always supported about people running for local office, Um, even though I've never, that has never, like that has never really been my calling. Um, I've never wanted to get up and debate with people and try to run a city. I'd just rather talk about it. Um, But, but whenever people do and somebody in the community sees a libertarian running, even if that libertarian doesn't have a good showing, um, or, you know, they, you know, like in Tim's case where he gets the three and a half percent, which is a, a really good showing, um, 3.04% is what Michelle Marina Taroli is saying. Um, so when you get, you get the 3% or you get higher, which is, you know, that's a decent showing that, you know, that's a quality, quality show. Um, somebody else is going to see that and say, I want to do that and I want to do better. And what can I take from this campaign and what can I learn from this campaign and how can I change that in the future? Um, Just so when I do it, I can get, you know, 4%, 5%, 15%, whatever. Um, Or how can I win? Uh, And it really bolsters people when they see somebody taking this chance, who's putting it out there that even though you're a minor party candidate, um, you're a third party candidate, you're a member of, you know, even if it's Libertarian Party, Green Party, any of the others, Constitutional Party reform, um, you see it and you say, I want to do that. I want to make the change that Tim McMaster wanted to make. Um, even if I don't agree with his politics, I still want to make be the, I want to be that guy. And you will start seeing more people running when you have showings where it's like, okay, I can do that. I can reach that. I can, I can beat that. I can, I can make this. Um, so I'm telling you something, um, when I ran for auditor general, I'm very much a data, uh, data and analytics person. So okay. I looked where we had down ballot candidates at what my percentages were like in their districts. And they were normally one to 2% higher. Um, you know, anywhere we had a state rep running or even a congressional write-in, um, it's all connected. 
and them being there and getting those vote totals higher for the top of the ticket is what helped to give us minor party status, which has party status in Pennsylvania has a bunch of benefits. The reason why Tim and our other special election candidates were able to participate was because we're a minor party. They got on the ballot with no signatures. It was just a freebie to us. And if we wouldn't have reached that status, we wouldn't have had that. Um, it also gives us control of our nominations and it allows us to um, be on the voter registration forms and actually be listed rather than having to write it in, which is important too, because we use that Good. partisan registration to reach out to people, to ask them to join the party, to you know send them correspondence. So it's a big deal. Every one of our candidates who gets 3%, they don't realize how much it's connected to the overall party success. And it, and it truly is. Um, here, I saw a lot of people run for... Uh, federal for federal office uh and then i saw people run for governor lieutenant governor and attorney general I actually worked on the attorney general campaign for bill wolsifer um and that was a wonderful experience uh that really cemented me into the libertarian party but uh people would watch those and say that's awesome that you know you've got your Adrian Wiley's. This is back when this was all going on. Your Adrian Wiley running for governor and Bill Wolsifer running for, um, for attorney general. And I want to do that locally. I want to do that in my community. So they see what they're doing and then they try to replicate it in their communities. And you start to notice a groundswell of libertarians running locally. Um, I am a person who does not believe that the Libertarian Party will win the presidency soon. I think that we need to truly start. I always make the joke we're a bottom up organization, which is why we always get screwed. But um, we need to start out. We need to start out winning the local elections. You need to be on your city councils. You need to be um, on your county commissions and mayors and you know, the, the local ones. And then when they start noticing that that works, that's when you get into the state. And when you yeah. start making it work in the state, that's when you go for, you know, your governors or your federals or, you know, whatever. Um, and you work your way up. It, it takes time and it's not, it is not easy. And it is. No, I mean, this is building the farm team, you know? Right. I mean, exactly. That's a great it, way to put it. But the people who are serving now um, in these low level positions, they're building the connections and the experience in a bigger race. Yeah. We, in the high 80s, maybe 88 um, elected officials in Pennsylvania right now. This year, I think we'll add at least 100, which is conservative. I think that we'll do better than that. But, you know, my goal is, you so, know, for one of these people who maybe served as mayor or borough council to run for state rep somewhere in the middle of the state in 24 or 26, where we have a lackluster incumbent who's been there for 10 years and they're running unopposed, knock every door and frontier style put somebody in Harrisburg. You know, I think that it's possible. We just need to build towards that. Um, you know, we'll win a countywide and then we'll win, you know, a, a state level seat. We'll get there, but it's a long strategy. It is. And your way of saying we're building the farm team is a much nicer way than what I was going to say. So I appreciate you keeping me grounded as opposed to how I normally would have phrased that. You know what? We're at the right stage in our development. Um, everything's going right. We're raising a ton of money. We're electing a ton of people to office. And, you know, some people say that, well, you know, they won an uncontested seat. They didn't, ha they didn't have to work for it. And I will tell you, as somebody who's serving a six-year term as auditor, 
that, you know, campaign from August to November is brutal, but serving a four to six year term in public office is a whole lot more work. We, you know, we had a guy that was, he was supposed to be on our show on Tuesday and I feel bad that it didn't work out, but we had so many technical issues uh, that we couldn't link up with him. And his name was uh, Brody Anderson. Um, I don't know if you know who he is or not, but uh, he won a six-year term to the River Valley District Library Board of Trustees, um, which I was reading because I wanted to make sure I said it right for Brody's sake. And the Libertarian Party, national, uh, included him in their, you know, congrats to Brody Anderson for his win. And a lot of people, many of them Libertarians, upset me because they were making fun of the fact that this was being publicized. And I, was, and I said, no, these wins are even more important than if you're announcing that somebody won a, you know, a congressional seat from Wyoming. These are the important ones because Brody Anderson has the chance to change the minds of the people in his city now, today. And they were like, oh, he probably ran unopposed. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He is now in office and he is going to have the chance to make that difference. Um, and I wish I could have gotten him. I wish that we didn't have the technical difficulties on Tuesday because I would have loved to hear his opinion. But some of the comments that people were saying were one was funny. One said late fees are theft. And I thought that was hilarious. But the others were they were hateful toward Brody for absolutely no reason. And I see that a lot with. I see that a lot with libertarians where for lack of a better phrase that I can think of right now, we shit on the success of people that we haven't gotten yet. Um, and that's why I will always say if you are running for a local office and you, and you win the local office, good on you. I don't care if you ran unopposed. I don't care if you, uh, I don't care if it was, um, in a race that I'm blanking on what that's called. Uh, the heat's getting to me. I'm getting, I'm, I, I'm getting the fever, um, where you don't say what, what is that called? Where you don't say what your party nonpartisan. Yeah. Not thank you. A nonpartisan. I was like, why am I blanking on this? Uh, if it's a nonpartisan race, um, I did, I don't care if you are a libertarian who is winning these races, you are doing more than anybody who is attempting to run for congressional office, like congressional office or Senate or president. Um, you know, we're going to have a ton of um, inspector of elections and judge of elections this year. And we saw through this last election how important election integrity is. And who better to police that than a libertarian who is not, um, you know, beholden to either of the other groups. Right. And these are two-day-year commitments. You have to go to the polls on primary day and during the general election. Um, so you can very easily serve your community and still have a full-time job and a family. But, you know, you can go from there all the way up to full-time jobs. Um, I would recommend that the willingness to serve is enough yes. um, to run for a local office. Um, you are qualified. Please go out there and do it. Um, it is important because I'm telling you, when I came into my township, they looked at me and said, I thought that like libertarians were mythological unicorns that just like lived on the Internet. <laughs> and now they actually call me for advice. Um, you know, I had a conversation with our local Democrats um, recently about, you know, the ballot referendums. And, you know, they didn't like my answer, but we had a... <laughs> 
<laughs> a respectful conversation about it at least. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that when I do run for re-election, um, you know, it sounds like they may support me. We'll see what happens when the time comes. But I have a good relationship with a lot of these people and they know the libertarians aren't necessarily kooks or, you know, at least not any kookier than me. Yeah, the um, what I've noticed, because obviously many people around me know that I'm a libertarian. Um, they know that I do this show and that I talk libertarian politics and talk with libertarians who, you know, are in leadership positions or doing liber libertarian things like writing books that have rings on the cover or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, they'll talk to me and some of the conversations definitely get heated, but for the most part, people just want to understand the position. Uh, People on the right, I find, want to understand the position up until you get to certain positions and then it gets heated. And it's the opposite with people on the left. They want to get heated except on a few where they just want to understand the position. Um, and that could just be my own biases seeing it that way. But that's what I've kind of noticed from people. But for the most part, I can keep the conversations very uh, friendly. Uh when I'm when I'm discussing politics with people outside of on the show or uh, well not at work because I'm not allowed I was instructed that I can't do that ever again uh, yeah you know I started out by just kind of listening and agreeing where I could agree and eventually and this was something that you know Jeff Hewitt told me is you know just listen agree where you can agree and eventually they're start asking your opinion and they did um, and, I mean, they've made me the chair of the Board of Auditors for the past three years, so apparently I'm doing something yeah, I right. I mean, you're, you're obviously doing something the way that you're supposed to. Um, so, with the fantastic people, uh, is there anybody else that you have running besides uh, Joe Solosky, Nicole Schultz, Joel Getz, like the... Oh, we have so many. I, um, I was going to say, I yeah, have... you said that you have 88 in office right now, and you're expecting to raise yeah. it by 100? Yep. Um, we will start recruiting for uncontested seats probably in the next few weeks um, after the primary votes are tabulated. We have people all over the state. Um, one of the things that's been a source of frustration to me as a state ballot access coordinator is that there's not really any reporting mechanisms because everything, it is a bottom-up organization. Everything is done at the local level. Um, so other than the county minutes, which only have to be turned in quarterly, I don't always know who's running. Right. Um, I have a shout out for our guys over and girls over in Susquehanna Valley. Um, they put their county wides on the ballot on primary day, they collected enough signatures um, that they've got a bunch of candidates on the ballot. So, you know, that is really awesome. Um, Michelle and Paul are running up in Luzerne County. Um, I know there's just a ton of them um, that are running all over the state, and I really need to start getting the list together. I've been so focused on the chair race. Um, we do have a couple of Facebook groups that are specifically for nomination papers where people announce, and that's kind of how I have to put those lists together is by looking through county minutes, by looking through Facebook and kind of meticulously right. putting together our list. You know, that's the problem with being decentralized um, is we don't always know unless someone is really campaigning hard that they're running. I know that they just nominated, um, they, they were getting signatures for a guy in Bucks County who's running for mayor. Um, here recently, I think that they nominated some, nominated some people out in Allegheny, and I'm sorry that you know the names are all escaping me right now. I know I mean, that you, if they were in front of me, I would remember their name and what they're yeah, running I, for. I was going to say <laughs> you, you you said that you have 88 in, and you're expecting to raise it by 100 to 150. Um, you're expecting to raise it if you were able to rattle off 
200 names right off the top of your head, I would have been like, well, yeah. she should, she should, she's so organized. She should run my life. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to run anybody's <laughs> life. <you> no, know. <laughs> I can't even run my own life most of the time, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, the one thing that I can say this year is I have never ever seen this many local candidates announce. It's just unreal. Um, and we're experiencing serious growing pains. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to be doing better. So I'm so grateful to the people who are stepping up to help coordinate, you know, especially some of our social media outreach and messaging, because that's something, you know, I've been so focused on elections that I'm not strong in that. Um, so the people that are coming forward and offering to help with those things and we're reorganizing some of our subcommittees and, you know, the people who are maybe on the opposite side of the table from me, but are giving me a chance as chair um, to work on these things together. Um, I just, I, it's been overwhelming this past week, how many people have reached out to me and how many people want to help and how many people want to run for office and help local candidates. It's just right. an amazing thing to see our movement growing. It is. And you know, I got involved in the Libertarian Party in 2014, I think. Um, 2014 is when I got involved. I became a Libertarian in 08, I think. I think it was 08 because I hated uh, Obama and McCain. And I was like, this is not, not neither of these parties are mine. Um, so then I got involved in 2014. Uh, and the growth that I have seen nationwide has been, it gives me hope for everything that's going on. Uh, because I see a lot of people who love liberty and a lot of people who want to see the change uh, that we all dream about. And yeah, we're getting a lot of backlash. It gets hard, especially ballot access laws. Um, did you see the, 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 the Tennessee House, or I think they have a house there or something, um, where they were shooting down the lowering of ballot access for third parties in Tennessee. I saw that. Right. And I saw that. You you see stuff like that and it gets you it gets you down, but then you see the groundswell of people who come up to help and be like, Okay, well if they're not gonna lower it, we are gonna get those numbers. And that is the stuff that I love to see because you see this community growing and it's people who for the most part work together to ensure that liberty gets spread across uh across the entire nation um it is like it's so hot i'm like sticking to my chair it is like I also sit on the National Ballot Access Committee. I was recruited after the Jorgensen campaign and then reappointed this year. Um, and it's amazing to hear the other states' ballot access laws. And like sometimes they just sound like insurmountable barriers. Um, right. But we do it. I mean, in every four years, we get 50 state. Yeah, I'm sitting outside and I've got lights on me, so I'm starting to get really washed out as the sun goes down. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're getting like that golden hour. Right. That golden hour that everybody's been like uh, putting on uh, Twitter and Instagram recently with hashtag golden hour. It's like it's working. Um, but so what is it that Pennsylvania is going to be doing for the candidates specifically to help help them get elected? Like what sort of support are they going to be looking at? Well, this year, you know, the main thing that we'll do is we'll look for uncontested seats okay. and then we will send out 
letters to registered libertarians in the district and ask them to run. From there, we will walk them through, you know, the basics of ballot access and then follow up and see how they're doing. Um, and then after that piece is done, anyone who didn't get on the ballot will follow up again and see if they want to run right in. If somebody goes to the polls for an hour and they hand out cards for this person, there's no one on the ballot, they'll probably get written in. We'll probably win half of them that way. Um, you know, as far as the local candidates um, who are running contested races, you know, the hope is that we will have, you know, lots of resources, lots of advice on how to, um, you know, fight a ballot challenge um, campaign. One of the reasons why I got involved in the state party was because when I was um, challenged in 2017 and brought to court over my signatures, nobody was really around. I didn't even know who to ask for help. My county was wonderful. We hired a lawyer. Um, three of us were challenged. We got through it together. But I felt like there wasn't really any support at the higher level. Now, if you get a ballot challenge, we have a team of people who can look at it and say, you know, I don't think that this is winnable. You shouldn't spend money on an attorney or you should absolutely get legal advice on this. This is a list of attorneys that you can call. Um, you know, we have wonderful campaign managers. Um, we have people who have been candidates themselves who, you know, even if they're not managing your campaign, they're there to advise. We have um, lawyers and previous candidates who can help you with the campaign finance questions. Uh, we just didn't have all of this a couple of years ago. Right. So, you know, the state doesn't really have a big role in campaigns as far as financing them and things. Um, we will do, we've just recently learned that we can do bulk mail. Um, through our not-for-profit status. So if a candidate wanted to send a mailing, um, they can. the state party can do it for them and they can pay us and it'll be about half price. Oh, nice. So, you know, we're, we're doing our best to offer resources. And, you know, as we grow, we'll get better at this. You know, a few years ago in 2017, when I ran, we didn't have any of these resources and every year we're getting better. So there's still a long ways to go though. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I, I have said for years now, the best campaigning you can still do is going door to door knocking, uh, yeah. being, being in the constituents faces, like not like being in their faces, but you know, being, being there, looking them in the eye to talk to them about the candidates is the best thing that you can do um, because that gets you in the mind of the candidates. They're like, oh, this guy, this guy came out. Um, there were many times that I knocked on a door and uh, whether I was there knocking for a libertarian or a Republican that I agreed with enough, um, if I was knocking on the door, there were many times that the person that answered the door said, you came out here to talk to me. I'm going to vote for your guy because I don't really know anything about either, but you were kind enough to come here to talk to me. And I don't know if they did, but I do know that if they, if all of those people did, it was enough to make the difference. I'm telling you for um, these local campaigns, I would recommend that they, they get their signatures for ballot access that way. That's the beginning of their campaign. That's how I and um, the reason I was challenged, the Board of Elections told me that I needed 10 signatures. So I went out and got like 18 or 19, safe, right? right? Well, they gave me the number for the major parties. I needed 46. So the judge gave me another 20 days to go get the rest. The Board of Elections actually came and testified and said, no, we gave her the wrong number. This wasn't her fault. Um, so I went and got about 100. And I knocked on every door in my neighborhood, and I explained to them that the incumbent supervisor who wanted to appoint his own auditor who sets his pay was the one who challenged me. Um, and they were like, really? Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know how much of an effect that had, but no Republican 
one reelection in my community right. after I talked about what the Republican committee had done that year. Um, and I got to meet everybody just through knocking on a couple hundred doors and getting a hundred signatures. And I also knew that there was a registered voter in that house because I had a walking list. So I was kind of vetting my signatures as I went. You know, if you only need 10 to 50 signatures, that's the best way to start. Absolutely. Yeah. Just walking around your neighborhood, your, your, your neighbors uh, already know you, you're already a member of that community, whether or not they know you personally, they have seen you and they're like, right. Oh, okay, well, you know, he's running. Let's, let's support somebody in this community. Um, and it is absolutely, it is the best way to campaign. And I never, I don't know why I never thought about the camp, the candidate going out for that. Like initially to start it never, never even dawned on me. So, it's actually a lot of fun. You can be like, hi, I'm your neighbor uphill and I want to run for auditor. And would you sign to get me on the ballot? And now when I'm out walking the dog, they all these years later, they know me by name. Right. And, you know, they ask me how things are going and they complain about their flood insurance. And I'm like, now I'm the auditor. Like I can put a word in with the supervisor. They won't listen to me. But like, you know, yeah, I, I realize we haven't had a flood in 350 years. But, you know, I mean, you should come to a meeting with me and we can talk about that. Right. <laughs> you know, I and, you know, the, I'm in Florida. So flood insurance is a uh, it's a sore subject for me. Um, <laughs> you know, that federally run thing that you don't have a choice and you have to buy and they get to make the rates. Yeah. Um, that wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, I hate flood insurance. Like, I get the point of it, but I know. let it be privatized. Please, just let it be privatized. It's a little better. It is. No, that... Yeah. It gives you the, uh, the the 1950s movie star vibe now with the lighting. I still have one on me, but I turned the closer one right. off. So. Now, um, in the comments, I saw something a little concerning um, from Joel Getz. And he said... I got to scroll up to it because it was a while ago, and I knew I wanted to... Uh, not bring it up just right there in the middle. Um, what's your position on turkey bacon? Oh, bacon comes from pigs. Okay. See. I mean, tur turkey bacon. I'm sorry, Bonnie. Bonnie is our secretary. I love Bonnie. She really is into turkey bacon. And I just, like, what part of the turkey do you cut the bacon from? <laughs> it's mechanically separated turkey. I <laughs> mean, I just can't. Like, Call it something other than bacon. It's not bacon. <laughs> I, I will accept beef bacon. I will accept it because I I think I'm not a butcher, but I believe it is the same cut. But with a turkey, I've I'm never like, had beef bacon. <laughs> oh, it's it's good. It's, it's, it's really it. good. I'm like a militant carnivore, so that that also factors in. You're you're a what carnivore? A militant carnivore. Oh, mili like, you militant. Know, I, I get like all yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I if I can uh, take out three or four different kinds of animals in one meal, I'm pretty, I'm happy. I'm definitely happy. Um, so you've already, normally at this point I say, hey, is there anything you would like to pitch? Is there anybody, is there any place that they can go to donate? And But you've already won your race. So uh, what, pitch whatever, you know, the audience is yours. You get to. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the most important thing for right now, um, it costs about $100 to successfully recruit a winning candidate. So if you would go to lppa.org um, slash donate, 
um, and throw something towards our ballot access drive, I would be very appreciative. Um, you know, it's a big deal. We need to fund this stuff. Um, we have a lot of wonderful donors. We brought, brought a bunch of money in through our convention, but the more donations we get, the more candidates we're going to be able to elect. And we only have this opportunity every couple of years. Um, and, you know, I mean, I just would like to be able to do more than 100. Um, and I think that we have the boots on the ground to do it. So, and you know, the other piece of that is, you know, if we get the molten maneuver executed, you know, hopefully we can help some of these other contested candidates financially too. So, um, you know, please donate to our state party um, and, you know, always donate to your local candidates, donate to them first and your state party second, um, because we'll put that money to good use. We're not like the Democrats and Republicans, our donors expect results and we provide them. Right. So that is lppa.org slash donate everybody. And just from the number of Pennsylvania candidates that we've had on our show, which we've had, we've had a good amount. Um, and now we've had the chair on one of our shows as well. Uh, I see a lot of good things going on in Pennsylvania. Um, huge fan of what I'm seeing coming out of there. Uh, so now that you are chair, now that you sit on the iron throne of the LPPA, um, you can, you know, continue doing all of the great stuff. And I am really looking forward to see what happens uh, in Pennsylvania. And I know that you guys are going to continue rocking it because uh, everybody, like everybody up there is just a fantastic person. And they all have great ideas and they all uh, are hard workers who truly believe in liberty. And I respect that and I love it. And I cannot wait to see more of it coming out of Pennsylvania. Um, so, you know, thank you for all you are doing up there. Yep, thank you. I just, um, you know, all the people who are new and who are unable to vote in our convention, you know, I see you, I hear you. Please come and integrate with the party. We need your ideas. We need you. Um, you know, I'm so sorry for the way that things went down. Um, it was unexpected to a lot of us. But, you know, thank you to everybody who's giving me chance, a chance as the new chair. Um, chair is a brutal job in any circumstance. It's the most thankless job in the party. Um, you take the heat for a lot of stuff. You don't have a vote. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, as vice chair, I was able to be very task oriented. I was able to focus on counties and elections. And now I have to wear a lot more hats coordinating things. So um, I'm already feeling the pressure, but I think we'll be fine. Um, I'm just grateful for all the people who are working with us and making it happen because this really is a team effort. Excellent. Well, yeah, again, everybody, that is lppa.org. Jen, if you want to hang out for a couple of minutes, I am going to uh, do my outro and I'll talk to you afterwards. Sounds good. Thank you. Beautiful. All right. To everybody else, that's still Joe Solosky. I always forget to turn him off. Um, to everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you are a Clubhouse user tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern, uh, you can join a room that has uh, Spike Cohen, Jess Mears, and I believe a bunch of other libertarians are going to be there. Um, so tune in for that. Spike is going to be in Colorado, I think. We're going to say Colorado, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, and then next week, on a brand new week of Muddied Waters Media... On Tuesday at roughly 8 o'clock, really depending on uh, technical difficulties, uh, we have Mike. I am, yeah, no, that's apparently how he, his name is. Mike Termat, 
who is running for House District 20 in Florida, which means I should probably know him. Um, but I will definitely look forward to meeting him at the convention in a couple of weeks. Um, but Mike Termat is going to be running, and he will be on the show on Tuesday at 8 o'clock on Spikes, My Fellow Americans. He has a show on Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Um, you're going to have to tune in to find out if there is a guest and who that guest is because it's going to blow your mind. And then next week on the Writer's Block, Thursday, 8 o'clock, uh, I have Irene... I really need to start looking at these things before now. Irene Mavrakakis. Mavrakakis. I have Irene on next Thursday, and um, I'm definitely looking forward to learning how to say her last name. To everybody out there, uh, thank you for watching. Please like, please share, please comment. Uh, no matter which social media platform you are on, Share it, share it, share it. And if you are not watching this live, comment, 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 comment to keep us up in the algorithms. Um, if you are one of the old school listeners who really enjoys just listening to the sweet, sultry, dulcet tones of my voice and my guest's voice, um, hang on, uh, head on over to anchor.fm slash muddied waters where you can favorite our podcast. Uh, and while you're there, you can also leave us messages that we will play on Tuesday nights during the personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, anchor, call in moment. Uh, and we will answer all of your questions live on the air. Uh, you can also donate money to us if you are so inclined. And uh, I'm not going to say that we will like you more if you do that, but we will probably like you more. Um, and then you can find this in every other episode at muddiedwatersmedia.com to everybody out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to another week of Muddied Waters Media with all of you. Until next week, I am Matt Wright, and you are perfect just the way you are. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's astounding the legs I'll go.
myself it's a standard the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help 